The four gospel writers seem largely uninterested in Jesus' childhood. Even Saints Matthew and Luke, notable for their famous nativity stories, tell us almost nothing about what Jesus was like as a kid. The story we heard from Matthew's gospel a few minutes ago is the only thing Matthew tells us from Jesus from his birth until the time he's about 30 or so. Now, if you've ever read some of the apocryphal Gospels, the Gospels that didn't make it into the canon, you know they have lots of stuff about Jesus' childhood. My personal favorite is the infancy Gospel of Thomas, where Jesus performs miracles as a kid. One of them is that whenever Joseph cuts a beam too short in his workshop, Jesus will stretch the board out to the correct length. It's all very exciting, but you can see why I didn't make it into the final canon. The lack of information we have about Jesus' childhood can be frustrating because when we want to understand who a person is, we often ask them questions about their childhood. We kind of turn into a B-grade Terry Gross. Where did you grow up? What was your family like? What was a formative experience that you had as a kid? If we understand what someone was like as a kid, we can understand who they are today. So the gospel writer's relative indifference toward Jesus' childhood should be a little bit unsettling for us. What are we supposed to do with their lack of stories about it? Well, there are a few different ways for us to make sense of it. Sometimes we assume that Jesus' childhood was boring, nothing interesting happened, and so there was nothing to report. You wake up, you help Joseph, you have dinner, you go to sleep, one day you're 30. Another option, one that was popular in the early church, was to believe that Jesus became God later in his life. And so when he was a kid, he wasn't God, so it really wasn't of concern for church people. But the fact that Jesus was a kid and had a childhood matters for us. We should take it seriously. Because when Jesus talked about the kinds of people who have faith that you should emulate, he didn't say the Pharisees who knew all the traditions He didn't say the priests who knew the right prayers and rituals to say. He says the people you should imitate, the people who best understand the kingdom of God, are kids. They're children. And when Jesus says that kids are best able to understand the kingdom of God, he's speaking from his own experience. And that's probably different than how we're used to thinking about kids and faith. We're very used to talking about passing the faith on to kids, teaching kids. We teach them how to pray, we teach them the creeds, we teach them the catechism. We don't talk a lot about kids teaching us about the faith. When was the last time a child taught you something about God or your faith? That's not a rhetorical question, that's something we should be thinking about together. And one of the reasons kids are able to welcome the kingdom of God is they haven't become jaded yet. Most of us adults, we start out with ideals, and then we get into the world, and it turns out ideals are kind of complicated. They can be inconvenient. They often get in the way of what we want to do. So we get out our ideals when it's convenient for us, and we put them away when it's not. We often talk ourselves out of doing the right thing because it's complicated, because there are a lot of mitigating circumstances to consider, when the truth is, sometimes we just don't feel like doing the right thing. 
The other reason kids are good at understanding the kingdom of God is that kids are good at keeping simple things simple. To take an easy example of this, hospitality. If someone new shows up to church, it's important to make sure they feel comfortable. It should be simple. We had a good example of this a few days ago. Before the 5 o'clock Christmas Eve service last weekend, Jason's daughter was coloring one of the books in the back. And another girl, a few years younger, showed up. And B introduced herself, explained what she was doing, and invited the other girl to help her. And this whole thing took about 15 seconds. And pretty soon, the parents of the kids were chatting because their kids got to talking. It was an absolutely picture-perfect example of congregational hospitality from someone who really doesn't even go to our church. But that can be really hard for adults to do. We can manage budgets of hundreds of thousands of dollars. We can run programs like you wouldn't believe. We write grant applications that are perfect. But when it comes to something simple like making people feel welcome, we start to make it incredibly complicated. We need name tags people can wear. We need a special book people can write their phone number in. Our synod actually runs hospitality trainings where people can learn how to, make wel- how to welcome newcomers to their church, which basically means how to introduce themselves to people they don't know. And I thought this was pretty funny until people started coming up to me after church and asking who the person they sat next to was. But the things that make kids such good role models for adults like you and me are also the things that make us nervous about kids. They have a way of seeing through the fronts that we so often put up and calling things like they are. If you want an example, think of Time's Person of the Year for 2019, Greta Thunberg, who exhibits both of those qualities, idealism and keeping simple things simple. It's revealing that her critics, who she seems to drive up the wall, have often responded to her not by pointing out a weakness in her argument or just ignoring her, but by making fun of her. When adults feel threatened by the idealism and moral clarity of kids, they often respond in vicious ways. Kids bring out the best in us, but sometimes kids bring out the worst in us too. And that's part of why the only story Matthew tells about Jesus' childhood is about the family's escape from Egypt. When Herod finds out that a new king's been born, he responds by killing every possible child out of fear that one of them will come and take away his power. One of them will see through his facade of it's complicated, there's no space for ideals here, this is the real world, get used to it. Now some of those kids we assume are good people, but... It's better to be safe than sorry. So you might as well kill all the kids just to make sure. And so it goes for us today. Kids are often the first casualties of adults' conflict. They're often the ones that are most invisible to us, too. Since 2015, in Yemen, an estimated 85,000 kids under the age of five have died as a result of famine. In Syria's civil war, now one in four civilian deaths is a child. And in our own country, the largely invisible but pernicious blight of lead poisoning has an unconscionable effect on the health of kids. Now, it's easy, of course, to just read those as numbers. 85,000, one in four, 
a little bump in Flint or Newark or something. But those are the holy innocents of our own day, the children who bear the costs of decisions made by adults. So the fact that the only thing Matthew tells us about Jesus' childhood is the escape from Egypt shouldn't be lost on us. From the beginning of his life, Jesus has been marked as a problem by the forces of evil in the world. He's a threat that needs to be disposed of. But we know God triumphs over evil in unexpected ways, too. Part of the reason Matthew chooses this story from the very beginning of Jesus' life is it foreshadows much of what happens at the end of Jesus' life. Herod has a powerful army at his disposal, a seemingly endless number of troops and weapons that he can use. But what happens? He gets outsmarted by three people and a donkey. And the best part of this is there are like two roads to get to Egypt. And this is too complicated for Herod to understand. And this trip from the very beginning of Jesus' life foreshadows the journey at the end of Jesus' life. Riding a donkey into Jerusalem, heralded as the new king. When the forces of evil try to extinguish the light of God, the light still shines through the darkness. Jesus has been marked as a threat for his entire life because he has been enacting the reign of God his entire life. And the more people try to dispose of him, the more evident the power of God becomes. That's why it's important for us that Jesus meets us as a child, as someone who's uncompromising in his commitment to the kingdom of God, as someone who remains unjaded by the disappointments of life, and as someone unbowed by people who see children as disposable. Jesus comes to us this day as a child and invites us always to become like children once again. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.